0: Hi, thanks for joining us. I'm Jen Winkleman. This next pocket of time is going to be dedicated to the healing art of storytelling. I've been working in the mental health field for the better part of the last two decades, and in that time, because of my work, I've had the great privilege of hearing countless stories. I hear stories that leave me at the end of the day filled with awe about the resilience of the human spirit. And I get to hear stories about those surprising moments when love steps in to save the day, at the very last moment. And I hear stories about the true grit it sometimes takes to survive the human experience. I learned something about life and humanity from all of these stories, and I want to be able to share what I've learned, but because of the part that I play in my community, I'm meant to be a keeper of those narratives. It's important that I maintain privacy and confidentiality for the families that I serve. And so those stories have to stay inside the four walls of my counseling office and are held by those sacred moments where one person tells their truth and another person bears witness to it. And in this there's some sort of magic that we co-create that leads to healing. But this has me thinking that the reach for healing could be bigger. So I decided that outside the counseling office and on a larger scale, we needed a forum for storytelling. We need to get back to the root of taking the time to listen to each other's experiences and to begin to draw from them. So today, our guest and I will have an unscripted conversation apart from the questions that we routinely ask to get into it, and then you and I will have the opportunity to learn a bit from his or her experience. In every case, there is value and something that we can borrow for our own lives. Because behind every face, there is a story. And in every story, there are life lessons begging to be learned. So as we listen along today, it's up to us to find the lesson in the story. And then if you and I so choose, we can catch that truth like a firefly in a jar and use it as light on our own paths. Thanks again for being with us. This is All I Know. Annie, thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me. So we're going to square up. We'll start our our conversation the way that we start every conversation on All I Know with our four anchor questions, and they'll set our springboard for today. Okay. First up, who are you? What do our listeners need to know about who you are to make the most of our conversation? Okay. Uh, well, I for
1: a living I'm a family therapist um, I'm also a sister an aunt um, I'm not a mother i a friend as well I am from, originally from Minnesota but now living in Denver and yeah I don't know I enjoy having fun I enjoy concerts and good food and traveling so yeah just
0: a little bit about me some of us believe that our lives are pretty ordinary, and others of us think that we are living a pretty extraordinary life. Mm-hmm. So if you are plotting your life on the spectrum between ordinary and extraordinary, where does yours fall? Um, I would say a little bit above
1: ordinary, but probably because I get to hear so much of other people's stories that are extraordinary so I get to bear witness to that I don't think I have I don't think myself is someone extraordinary
0: but I think what I get to be a part of is it's really powerful answer Mm -hmm. makes me want to dig into what you hear (laughs) (laughs) you can't (laughs) because it's private Yeah. how do you define success to you what's the marker for a successful life
1: I mean, I know this might sound trite, but to me, success is happiness and balance. I think that we're in trouble. (laughs) (laughs) We're not very successful. (laughs) I'm like, well, I think that there, you know, I feel like success in our society is so much rooted on uh, jobs and money. And I don't think that is something that I see as being successful. I think being successful can be family and love. And so I think for me, it's whatever that happiness is for someone. And I think it's so different. Um, and having a balance in life that makes you be able to enjoy the happiness
0: is important. What are three events, experiences, or themes in your life that you believe have most shaped who you are and how your life has unfolded?
1: I would say one of them is the birth of my uh, oldest niece. I have two nieces, and not that the younger one's not as important, uh, but I think the birth of the first one was an experience that I'll never, ever forget. Were you there? Yeah, not in the room, but I was there for the whole long 30-hour labor, and it was pretty... It was just a really neat experience to be with my sister and then to be able to hold her, and that was that...
0: It was a moment in life where I
1: thought... I didn't know it was possible to love something so much and not know this person at all. Yeah, it was they're pretty cool. They're brand new, and you're mm-hmm. overwhelmed. Yeah, yeah. So that was that was really special, and it and it definitely sets my mind as one of um, one of those really
0: impactful events. Okay, no, that's number one. Mhm. What's number two? You know. I think of
1: my graduating from grad school as a big one, Um, not because I felt like I had, like, all this knowledge and I was ready to conquer the world, but I feel like that's when I grew up, you know, and I think it's so interesting that we mark this age of 18 as adults, especially working with teenagers. Yeah. Because I look back on being 18, and I had no idea what was going on, and and, and even through all of college and even through grad school I felt, I never really felt like I was a grown up yet and I think once I graduated from grad school I was ready to really pursue life in a way that had a lot more intention than it had in the past I think prior to that it was an experience of I just did something to do it but wasn't really like mindful and intentional about what I was doing.
0: Was it finishing school that tipped that over? Was it timing? Did it have to do with how old you were? I think it was finishing school and like finishing that chapter of my
1: life and being like, okay, what's going to, what am I going to do next?
0: Yeah. Well, and maybe going from education, which you'd been in your whole life. Mm-hmm. So it, the season of education now is closed. Exactly. And so here's the, for real. Here's the real world. <laughs> Go get it. Yeah, that makes sense.
1: And I don't think I realized at the time, uh, because maybe this was the last choice that I made. That maybe that wasn't. Fully intentional or mindful, but after grad school, I moved out to Colorado. And I felt like I did it because I wanted a change and a move, and maybe there was some intention, but after that move, is when life choices had much more um, balance and weighing in on why I'm doing what I'm doing. Just by virtue of being in Colorado? yeah I think well not because I was in Colorado but I felt like the move was it wasn't impulsive but I didn't have a huge reason to move out here and so I feel like that was that end of the chapter of okay here's the move you graduated the move now it's time to be it's time to be a grown-up and and be thoughtful and mindful and intentional about every choice that you make and not be impulsive and
0: erratic In <laughs> a kid yeah and a kid exactly okay so the birth of your niece finishing mm-hmm. grad school and then what's the third so
1: the third one while well, it involves my fiance it's it's not meeting him um and being set up with him it's not even the day he proposed it's more um finding healthy love with him it was really big um Yeah, because, which, it's funny, because when I think about it, I think, oh, gosh, he's going to be so sad. It's not like, oh, our first date, or when you propose, but, you know, for me, it was, I I grew up in what I call a lovingly dysfunctional home, and by that, I mean, there was a lot of unpredictability, there was a lot of yelling, um, but... I felt very loved and I felt very cared for. But nevertheless, that that dysfunction followed me. And it was kind of my norm. And so it followed me from relationship to relationship to relationship. And I didn't realize it. I would have glimmers and insight into things not being okay. And the relationships weren't abusive or anything. It was just it wasn't based on what I wanted it to be or what I thought it could be. And so then when I met Mike, I, I didn't even realize it at the time that it was healthy. It took some time to to kind of stop and look around and, and realize that I had found healthy love. And I think that has impacted me the most because it's, it's changed who I am. It changes how I look at life. It changes how I feel. Um, and it's what childhood wasn't. It's predictable, it's stable, it's good.
0: So I just want to draw you back for one second to something you said when you first started talking about finding healthy love. You said something about your fiance being sad. Do you mean when he listens to this? Yeah, I think he would have loved to hear like the day he proposed in Italy. Oh,
1: it's <laughs> a big event. Gotcha. Okay. I think he would have loved
0: to hear that. Okay. Yeah. I just wanted to make sure that we yeah. understood what. Yeah, exactly. That. Of course, the clinician in me was like, he'll be sad. No. What's going on with that? He was just proud of his proposal. So between your niece and finishing graduate school and coming into adulthood mm-hmm. and then finding healthy love, yeah. which one are you going to teach from today? Um, finding healthy love. Okay. Yeah. So tell us the story of you and Mike.
1: Well, um, it's, it started with us being set up and uh, we it was funny because we had mutual friends that we thought, you know, oh, this will be good. This will, this will work out. And we met and I was not interested in him and he was not interested in me.
0: And, um, we kind of both went our own ways. So you guys talked, did you talk about not being interested in each other at the time? No, not. Totally. It was way later. Later. Okay.
1: Yeah. It was, yeah, it was kind of painful. He was like, yeah, I didn't think you were that cute. And I was like, oh, I didn't think you were that cute. <laughs> um, but when I, so then some time had passed and Actually, what resulted in us coming around and seeing each other again was that dysfunction. It was my best friend looking at me and saying, you can't see this guy that I was seeing at the time anymore. Like, call that Mike guy. And so, you know, looking at that time, I didn't realize what it was. And now looking back, I think oh, there was that dysfunction creeping up again. And I think it's highlighted even more because the relationship before before Mike was so greatly
0: dysfunctional. It was actually very, very similar to what I grew up with. Um, and that's the relationship your friend was saying, you can't do this anymore. Yeah, gotta be done. So um, you can decide how much you want to share about the details of that relationship or what the dysfunction looks like, but what was it like for you to hear from your friend that you had to stop? Was that like a message that you well or were you defensive about it i mean sometimes i think when, yeah yeah i i knew it i i knew i
1: agreed but that goes back to the the impactful piece and like the teaching piece that i have is you kind of you, you don't realize that if your norm is dysfunction you don't think that healthy is going to happen so so while, she, while I knew what she was saying, I thought,
0: oh, well, but this is how it is. So so when she said that to you, did you listen right away? Or was it an overtime kind of thing? I picked up the phone that moment and texted Mike. Before you broke
1: up? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I sure did. Okay. Yeah, okay, keep going. Um, so... Yep, and then he texted back, and we ended up going out on a out to dinner, and was that before the breakup or after? After. Okay. And uh, dinner was. Ugh, this is gonna sound cheesy, but dinner was so magical. It was like a two and a half hour dinner, or maybe it was more longer. And we smiled and laughed and had all these common interests. And I remember waking up the next day thinking. I can't believe I just dismissed him so easily. Um, and I don't know why I did, and I don't know why he dismissed me, so, but I was really thankful that we had that dinner. I'm um, really, from there it was just a closeness, a love that grew stronger and stronger, and now we're engaged. How long have you
0: guys been together? Um, this fall will be five years. Mm -hmm. Do you want to tell the story of the engagement or is that private for you and Mike? Oh, yeah,
1: I can. Uh, We took a trip to Italy and before I left, everyone said, you're going to get engaged. You're going to get engaged. And I said, no, because we hadn't looked at rings and I'm a control freak. (laughs) And so I thought, well, he can't. There's no way. He doesn't know what I want. And uh, we were in a small town in Italy and he we were walking up a hill. And I kept saying, I'm tired. I want to be de- like, let's stop here. We had a bottle of wine and, uh, we got to the top of, uh, the town is a CZ and we got to the top of the, um, town and kind of turned around this like brick ledge and, uh, he got down on one knee and I was so shocked that I just kept saying, no, you're not. No, you're not. And he just looked at me like, yes, I am. Yes, I am. <laughs> um. And then the, the actual, and after I said yes, of course, and then the, the brick wall, there was a ladder leaning against it, and so we were able to climb to the top of that, and it was just at sunset time. And he had actually been to that exact place oh, probably 10, 12 years prior when he studied abroad, and when he was there he said, this is where I want to propose to you know, my future wife one day. So, and he made it happen And he made it happen And it was very magical And then we had a great rest of our trip And and came back So when you get married This August
0: mm-hmm, August 19th yeah. How's wedding planning going for you guys? just going
1: great <laughs> and I say that with a sarcasm for the listeners now wedding, wedding planning I think is
0: tough for a lot of people yeah whoever says they enjoy it is I'd love to meet those people lots of details yeah. and negotiations mm-hmm. so um, what is it about the relationship with Mike paint a, paint a picture for us that helps us get a better understanding of what it means when you say that you found real love mm-hmm. and can you con- maybe, maybe the easiest way to do that would be to contrast it with Mm -hmm. what you thought was love before I don't know
1: well I think they've all I think in past relationships it's been love I just think it's been pretty unhealthy love and so with this with Mike I think um you know there's such a sense of um like uh, Connection, And I think that that connection, while it's existed in other relationships with him, it's based on a, a sense of genuineness um, and, and appreciating each other for what we are. Whereas I feel like in past relationships, there was a lot of either not feeling not feeling proud of the other person, like if I was with someone in particular and they, they didn't want others to know we were dating or things like that. Um, and so I feel like there's a, there's a sense of, of deeper connection than there was with anyone else in the past. Um, there's also... A high degree of acceptance. Like Michael knows who I am and is and accepts it and loves it. And I think with that comes unconditional love. There's no, there's no terms of if this or that or. Um, I feel like in contrast, a lot of the relationships in the past have there's been terms if we're living here or what do you, if you're gonna do this and things like that. Um, and also just like true I guess the word I'm thinking is like natural love in this er, natural love and fun um, relationships in the past where fun was based on using drugs getting drunk um, being impulsive being young and this is I can have fun with him and not need anything else in the world like we could just be in a room just the two of us and so I think that's a that's a big piece of it too um let me think. What else? For me, I, w- one of the big things, and this goes back to probably that that childhood piece, is uh, what's healthy about it is the pre- predictability. It's not that I know what he's going to do every day, but I know what I get with him, and I know what we get in our relationship and our love, and um, and it's genuine, and I and I know it's I know it's
0: always going to be there. And that predictability is safe and secure. So I have a question for you that I think is kind of a big question because I think it has multiple layers and maybe maybe there are layers of answers too mm-hmm. but so I'm, I'm listening to you talk about healthy love and I'm thinking about myself and people that I know in the world who are on the hunt on the search for something like that and so I guess the first layer of the question is how do you get there? because the story that you're the story that you're telling is that you were in a relationship that wasn't and then it was almost like magic that you were mm-hmm. so if you were going to advise someone like here's how to find your way you know what what would you say uh, so that's maybe the first piece and then the second piece is I, I feel like there are probably a lot of people who are listening that are in relationships that are committed who might feel like we We may have started with the kind of love that you're talking about, but we lost it Mm -hmm. somewhere. It's gone, and I don't know how to get it back. And I'm wondering what you would say to that person about finding their way back Mm -hmm. to that place. And then the third layer. Yes, you might have to remind me of <laughs> Just keep, keep it coming <laughs> <laughs> Then the third layer of that would be people who are in committed relationships and feel like, uh oh, I never had that. I don't know like what she's describing doesn't doesn't resonate with me. I've never had that kind of safety, but I'm in this relationship and I'm committed to this relationship, but I haven't felt what Annie is describing. Yeah. And so for that person if they're feeling a sense of longing about what it is that you described between you and Michael, what does that person do to take a step toward finding healthy love? Yeah, that makes
1: sense. So, so for the first, your poison so the, for the first one with someone searching for it, I think you know it's interesting because when I when I knew that the name of the podcast was All I Know is. I get that I wasn't searching for it, and I get that it fell into my lap. But when I when I thought about the name more and more, is, I kept thinking to myself how all I know is that healthy is out there and that people, you don't need to settle. And so while I wasn't searching for it, I think it could have gotten really bad, and I would have probably been in a place that would have forced me out of it. You know? Um... And so I guess to those people that are searching for it, I, I, I say, don't give up and don't settle because I think that's the really big thing that I realized is if dysfunction is your norm or there's a unhealthy pattern, it's it doesn't have to be that way. And so I would say just keep going and don't give up because... It, it can happen, and it will happen, because um, that is that is really what I want to teach people is that healthy is out there. So I think that that's like my thought for the people that are searching for it. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Okay. Um, for the people that are in it
0: and maybe maybe lost it. Lost it. it.
1: That's a hard one for me because I don't know. I think that I would want to ask someone, can you think of where you lost it or when you lost it or what parts of it are lost?
0: But as you're even asking the question, I thought that's a tough one. Do you and Mike have strategies? I mean, for I don't know what the right word is. But are you are you too intentional about protecting what was born between you? And if you are intentional about it, what what is it that you do to keep it?
1: Does that make sense? Yeah, that definitely makes sense. I think there hasn't been a a spoken like oh we're intentional in this way, but there's things that have developed. Um, for example because I grew up in such a chaotic home with yelling, we don't yell. And that's not something that, you know, of course it happens every once in a blue moon, but it's not something that was spoken where I said, we don't yell at each other. It just happened organically. And, um, and, and I think that creates safety. Um, and, and I think the other part of it is when we do argue is I'm very intentional, about saying and he might think this is a the therapist to me but it's not I'm very intentional about making a point of what was this argument about really like what and what what needs to happen differently next time and so I think it's us trying to support each other and being better people mm-hmm. for each other because I've watched so many couples fight
0: and then just roll through the fight and so I really not try. really clean it up yeah or clean it out mm-hmm. yeah and sort of that sweep it under the rug mentality and keep on trekking. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the healthy too. Is I used to be
1: extremely passive aggressive, and now I'm i really hard to be much more assertive, and and I probably can because it's landing in the lap of someone that's healthy versus someone that wasn't was probably aggressive towards back towards me or passive aggressive with me as well. Um, so I think having. Intention around how you fight if you will is one thing um, we, we make a lot of time for just the two of us I mean he'll, he'll probably hate me for saying this on air but um, you know he reminds me all the time that I'm his best friend and that and that is and I don't feel it as a cheesy thing I feel it as you're the person I want to spend time with um, you're my so, favorite yeah you're my favorite you're my number one and so we really make time for each other, even even though we both work a ton. That's really important. Um, so yeah, I think those are two things, in particular, like one on the more positive side and one on the like negative, constructive side. Yeah, <laughs> See, well, <laughs> the damage control side. Yeah, the it. damage
0: control. <laughs> Okay, and then what about that third layer? Someone who's who's in a committed relationship and doesn't want to leave it, isn't looking to mm-hmm. isn't looking for an exit strategy and a fresh start. You know, they wanna they wanna be where they are, but what you said doesn't sound familiar mm-hmm. and they wanna cultivate it. What how would you guide them? My like God immediately just wants to say, just
1: talk to the person about what you want to cultivate. I mean, to cultivate is to create something. It doesn't just happen out of thin air. So if if there's anything that I say that resonates with someone, where they're like, I want that, or I yearn for that, or I wish I had that, or I see that, but I don't always get it, I feel like you have to put some work into it, and and i know that talking's not always the easiest and i know if it's if you're a female you know how much men don't enjoy talking as much as we do and so that's that can be hard um, but I think you got to take some steps towards it and, and talk to the person about where they're, you know, your partner, where, where they're at with things and what they want. Because I think healthy is different for everyone. You can't, I mean, I'm sure you could Google, Google it and find, you know, components of a healthy relationship. But, I mean, even mine I don't think are a perfect cookie cutter. And so I really think the other, you know, the main piece of what's needed to... Create this in a relationship, if someone's looking for it, is coming together with their partner. And, you know, these two individuals exploring what it is they want from each other and what they want from the relationship, and working together to co create what it means to them to be healthy. And I think once it's spoken, there can be intention around how to develop that. Um, and that's you know going back to what I said the first step is is talking about it and and it can't just be one-sided if one person says oh you know I want I I want more connection well the other person needs to know that and what does that mean and how do you give that to them and how do you receive that Um, and so I think it's I think it's working together to create healthy which might be tough if one person wants one thing and another wants something else or doesn't want to give or is tired or not
0: motivated. So, so I was kind of unfair to you in, in asking that layered question because it has I'm sort of asking you to drill down to... How, what do you know about healthy love in this scenario? Yeah. What do you know about healthy love for that scenario? So, you know, I guess if we pull up to that 30,000-foot view mm-hmm. of, of healthy love and, and what you have learned in, in your relationship with Mike, mm-hmm. and you had to kind of boil it down to the listeners, either, you know, somewhere between a sentence and a paragraph, and you said, listen, guys, when it comes to healthy love— all I know is when it
1: comes to healthy love all I know is that it exists and I really believe that it exists for everyone and it's pleasant and it's comforting and for me while it's predictable it might be unpredictable for others in a in a fun way Um, it's safe and it can last and I think while it falls into the laps of some people like me I think other people have to search for it and other people have to like we just said cultivate it Um, and even if it falls into the lap of someone I still think there's there's work relationships are work no matter what relationship dysfunctional or not um healthy relationships take a lot of work i think even more way more than a dysfunctional relationship but i know it exists and i and i really i
0: i believe not i believe in the importance of not settling well it sounds like uh, i mean i might be reading between the lines a little bit so correct me if this is you know off base but it sounds a little bit like you're saying, health. so healthy love is there for the taking. Mm-hmm. And um, anybody and everybody can have it. you got to be do, willing to do the work, mm-hmm. and the work is worth it. Yeah. And you have to be willing to recognize
1: when something's dysfunctional. I had to be willing to send the
0: text that night before you broke up with the other guy before I broke up with the other guy <laughs>
1: and it's hard when you're in the trenches of of something dysfunctional to, to realize you are so I think that's some intention of,
0: of stepping back sometimes okay so we're going to close our time together the way that we close every show, mm-hmm. which is with the questionnaire by Bernard Pivot that's used by James Lipton on Inside the Actors Studio before it went off the air. Okay. Because it's my favorite interview show. Okay. Annie, what's your favorite word? She's thinking hard about this, skies You can't see her. But she just took a deep breath and closed her eyes. Mm, happiness. What's your least favorite word? Sickening. What turns you on creatively, spiritually, emotionally?
1: Excitement. Things that are fun and new and learning. I love
0: learning. What turns you off? Fake people. What's your favorite curse word? Fuck. Yeah, that's an easy one. Yeah, right. definitely. Comes right out. I use it
1: a lot. <laughs> what sound or noise do you love? Probably the one I just made when I had to think of the first question. Just... Hmm. big sigh yeah
0: what sound or noise do you hate someone chomping their food (laughs) I hate that sound it is rough it's horrible it can be really really rough what profession other than your own would you most like to attempt I would I would love to be a nurse and what profession would you absolutely not like to do an accountant numbers yeah evil evil numbers horrible numbers anybody who's a therapist or a social worker if heaven exists what would you like to hear god say when you arrive at the pearly gates i think i got her on that one you did well thank you did well thank you for being with us amy thank you and for sharing what you know thank you for having me. So I hope you found the conversation with Annie useful and that it'll inspire you to look for healthy love in your own life, cultivate it in your own life, find it in your own life. As always, we thank you so much for listening in. One of the most important things for our speakers and guests when they agree to be vulnerable with us about their life experience is to know that What they have to say is going to fall on ready ears, and we couldn't do that without you. Please remember that all of the opinions, ideas, information, and views shared as part of today's conversation belong solely to each speaker, and while we hope our listeners find each episode helpful and interesting, please note that this podcast doesn't serve as therapeutic intervention, nor should it substitute as advice or direction from a mental health professional. All I know is a production of Inward Bound, a private psychotherapy practice based in Denver, Colorado. We specialize in working with adoptive families and provide support and training associated with attachment and the impact of early trauma on childhood development. If you or someone you love is struggling with adoption-related or relational challenges, find us on the World Wide Web. This podcast is produced by Jessica Barry Edelstein and me, with audio engineering by Craig Knapp. If you'd like to be a guest on All I Know, please reach out to Jess. You can contact her at Jess. All I know at inwardboundco.com one more time it's jess j-e-s-s dot all i know at inwardboundco.com we hope you'll join us for the next installment of all i know we release a new episode every week and in the meantime this is jen for all of us here at the show reminding you catch all the light you can